Welcome to the podcast. We have a great episode for you this week. We're going to talk about how Marty got locked out of his apartment, how I hate heights, a new fungus that has shown up in India and how it relates to COVID. We're also going to talk about at-home COVID tests. We're going to get into some interesting news around some ethical questions on intellectual property and when you develop something that saves a lot of people, should it be shared? We're going to talk about the Facebook Oversight Committee's decision to punt on Trump's ban, but also how the committee sort of slapped Facebook in regards to its policies. We're also going to talk about the launch of Trump's social media platform, or more of a bad looking blog, actually. And we're going to wrap up with the Apple versus Epic case and how some things in Discovery showed up that really are quite shocking about Apple dropping the ball in regards to user security. All this and more coming up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch, a weekly news show where we ask the big questions on the week's news in tech, science, and medicine. I am joined by my friend and co-host, Dr. Marty. How has your week been? Hey there, Matt. Um, my week has been trying, but good. Uh, this week, I, in all of my life, which is long enough, I'm not going to tell you my age, um, long enough, um, I left for a minute to pick up carry out food, which I haven't done a ton of during the pandemic. I've mostly cooked for myself. I think I've only started having carry out a bit more. And when I got back with Thai food in hand, I tried opening the door to my apartment. This was later, it was at 9.30 at night, except I had my car keys on me and not my house keys. So I actually locked myself out of my apartment at 9.30 at night and I had no way to get back in. So I tried calling friends, nobody was around. I called my landlady, not a very kind person, was very upset that I called as late as 9.30 because who would do that? And she told me, I do not want to be bothered. This is not my problem. And then hung up the phone. No so I way. Had to break, I had to break into my apartment through the front window. I removed the screen. I, I found one that I had left unlocked. I had a large bay window that I jumped through, but it was blocked by a number of rose bushes. And so after I had thorns caught all through my jacket and on me and spiders that ended up crawling all over my clothes and hair... Um, I ran into the shower and then put my window back together and enjoyed my carry out Thai food at 1030 at night. Oh, my gosh. I am so sorry. That sounds awful. <laughs> Spiders and rose bushes. Oh, my. I would. Yeah. Oh, God. I was so not in the mood for any of this. It was late enough as it was. And it was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And just like one after another. And, and your landlord wasn't willing to help you out. That's not, crazy. No, not even kind of. I like I'm still worried that she's going to be passive aggressive with me for having called her the gall to call her at 930 to say I know you have an extra copy of my key I will return it but I just need it for five minutes no 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 I, I, don't, I, had, I don't think 930 is gall worthy like if you're talking I, about a, a gall worthy call I, I'd say yeah after 11 o'clock but 930 come on I, there are people who go to bed early but even so they understand that people stay up till 10 easy Right. You know, usually children under 12 go to bed by 930. At, at, at some point you realize that, you know, it's normal for adults to stay awake and you can have a different preference of your bedtime. That's true. But it was not gall worthy. So you're right. I'm still clearly miffed about the whole thing. But I did feel kind of like MacGyver. Breaking into your own apartment. Minus the mullet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, well. I'm kind of curious if your neighbors watched or, or if they were just like, oh, it's LA. I, this happens all the time. I so looked like a burglar. <laughs> I absolutely looked like a burglar when I was doing this too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, well. Hey, I'm sorry, man. Well, w- w- was there any damage to the window in, in your no, attempt to break it? I knocked over. I knocked over something and heard a bunch of things fall. Like it literally was a scene out of someone breaking into someone else's house. Um, I didn't do any permanent damage to anything. Okay, because yeah, you definitely don't was, want you don't want to deal with your land your landlord after that of um, breaking stuff. No, no, no. no. <laughs> How about you? How was your week? Uh, it was good. You know, um, we had we've you know it's you know we've talked about this a lot that that you know spring Colorado. So of course we you know we we are getting a lot of much needed rain, and of course you know we need this because we need water, and you know on, in our agricultural areas need water too for farming and all this sort of thing. So a lot of, a lot of great stuff. But in the list of things that go wrong with your house, having a leak in your roof is, you know, is a pretty serious one. And <clears throat> I was very fortunate that we had some people come in and take a look at it and get it repaired. And one of the things that this guy was telling me was he was like, hey, you know, Matt, I, uh, you know, this, this isn't related to the roof, but you probably should get this fixed is on your second story. You know, you just have to drop a nail in this piece of siding and, um, you know, because it's starting to sag a little bit and it's it's a small thing. So, um, you know, why don't you climb up the ladder and I'll show this to you. So I, I climb about halfway, halfway on our ladder and I take a look at it and I acknowledge that this is the thing that needs to be fixed. And he's like, it's, it's not that bad. And I go, OK, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it, you know, it should be that bad. So. I, the following day, I prepare all my necessary tools, like a surgeon, I'm laying out everything that I need. I have my gloves, I set the ladder up, get everything to go to climb up on the second story of my house and to fix this issue. I get about halfway up the ladder and realize, yeah, still hate heights. So I, I, I get- Coming, I, coming I, from the guy who probably is the tallest person I know, just so everybody understands. Yeah, and, and it was quite a production unfold. I have one of those uh, ladders that you, that you have to unfold it and extends and does all this kind of stuff. And, and and as I climbed up, I'm like, I'm going to die here. Like, I'm going to fall off my roof and I'm going to fall <laughs> on my driveway and no one else is home except for me. And I'm like, th- 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 this is quite stupid. So I get down, I remove the ladder, I pack it back up, I put it back in the garage. And so I sat there and stared at it for about 10 minutes and go... I I'm willing to lose a corner of my man card and repair this while hanging out of my second story window. So I undid the screen and I leaned out of my window so I could keep my feet planted on my second story inside. And I tacked up this board, fixed it, did all of the repair. I'm sure oh to my, my neighbors, it was quite a scene, but I'm like, I, the idea of climbing up on my very, the roof that has a very sharp, you know, angle to it and everything. I'm like, I, I, the whole idea of like that transition from the ladder to the roof and the roof back on, I'm like, I, I just kept having visions of me falling off or the ladder falling off. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. So that was my big manly you, home repair. You dangling, you dangling out of a window being held in by your ankles. That also doesn't hit me as a particularly safe point of view. Uh, maybe it was. No, I wish to clarify. My feet never left the floor of the second story. I, but, but, okay, but, but okay. my body was outside of the window and, and, and as you said, I'm a very tall person, so it was kind of like a giraffe sticking out of the window. Like, mm, I was able to safely yeah. do it with two feet firmly planted, so. Okay, okay. I'd like somebody maybe at the, at the giant stature of my, my own self would probably not be able to do such a feat. Yeah. That's it, my guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I just I I, uh, I I usually am pretty good about home repair stuff, but I am I am on the ground floor up uh, uh, as far as I can reach, and then otherwise I am not interested in going on the second story and fixing stuff. And roof repairs and those type of things is not up my alley at all. I don't do anything with home repair. 
if there's to- those two words are together, then I just want to leave. I want to, I want to remove a window, <laughs> throw myself face first inside, <laughs> elbows blocking from, from whatever might hit me. Yeah. I do not like home repair at all. So you were breaking into your window and I was removing it and doing repairs outside of we my were, window this week. Yeah, no, <laughs> We were doing um, that scene from somewhere out there, the song in American Tale, when Fievel oh. is singing to his sister. Yeah, except we were doing two opposite things. I was coming in through the window and you were trying to reach out of yours. Felt connected to you on Wednesday. Yeah. I knew I would. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we, we were both having window woes. Although I liked Fievel Goes West better than the original Fievel, so. Um, I don't remember a great song from Fievel Goes West. It's I just great. remember, I mean, when you're singing in your choir in elementary school, every single person has to learn somewhere out there. I mean, I, I, you learned this, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. In, in junior high yeah. choir, yeah. Oh, junior high. Well, mm-hmm. you guys were advanced. Yeah. Um, that It must have sounded great. I didn't learn it until, like, I learned it earlier. So we were a little bit more childish sounding, a little more innocent. No voice squeaking yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it, it was big five years. But when Five Goes West came out, it was the lazy eye. Everyone was talking about the lazy eye when he oh, makes yeah. that, like, funky eye. And, and, that's, and that's how they battle each other. It was pretty funny. I do vaguely remember the lazy eye. <laughs> vaguely. Vaguely. I just remember there are no cats in America. Yeah, um, as as from from an American tale, I kind of want to watch this again. There were a lot of movies about rats. Um, do you remember a movie called The Secret of Nim? No. And the Secret of Nim, N I M H. And I didn't realize this until I was much older, and I actually became a researcher myself. The Secret of Nim, N I M H, stood for National Institutes of Mental Health. They were lab rats that were from the National Institutes of Mental Health. <laughs> It was good. It was a good movie from whatever I remember as a really young child. But there were a series of movies about rats that I think made them less scary. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Well, and for those of you that haven't seen Five Goes West, the the thing we're talking about, the lazy eye, was not about it was it, when they referred to it, it was a technique that they had that it makes their eyes go crazy as a, as a way to intimidate their enemies. It, it had, it, so it was all lighthearted animated fun, but that's what they called it. So, and, and like his cat companion, I can't remember what his name is. He kind of looked like Felix the cat. Um, so anyway, it was, yeah, it was kind of a fun, it was a, was it nineties? I think when that, when that movie came out, uh, maybe or late eighties, yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. It was, yeah. it was way back, way back when. Yeah. Um, Fewer gray hairs then. Yeah. So um, speaking of windows and heights and all these things, I was driving around L.A. this morning and I heard on the radio to look out for these new billboards that are going to be around uh, that are, I think, sponsored by or a part of a Leonard Nimoy Foundation that are called Live Long and Prosper billboards, where they have people celebrating Leonard Nimoy's legacy by wearing masks uh, because it's a part of the living long and prospering and the idea that it's a sign of having a, a longer and, and uh, more thriving life, essentially, but also whatever that entails, not just wearing a mask, but things you can do to stay healthy during this time, even though we're more in transition and people are starting to do uh, more more risk-taking behaviors. But still, I thought this is the podcast to talk about a Vulcan public service announcement. Absolutely. I, and I, I, think, I think when I think of Leonard Nimoy, I think that makes a lot of sense for the foundation to do it because I feel like if if he was around, he, he was an advocate of science and, and of facts. And 
Um, I, I, I feel like he, you know, I, I guess, I guess I would imagine that, that he would be a supporter of those things and that the, the foundation's decision to, um, advertise and advocate, you know, in that way, it, you know, I mean, I, I think it's a cool thing to, to add on to, you know, for his legacy, I think. So I, 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 I think that, 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 that's awesome. Can you imagine if uh, Mr. Spock would have witnessed the way the pandemic was viewed by different, different parties and, and, uh, engaged with by different folks. I can imagine just him saying, that is highly illogical. <laughs> it just makes no sense. Uh, so I, 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 that voice was in my head all the time during the pandemic. It's like, that is highly illogical. I, I, I feel like in a pandemic situation, you would want McCoy there because I, it kind of takes me back to one of the Star Trek movies when, I don't know if you've seen all of them. It's the one, it's, it's the bad one with the whales. But there is a scene where oh, McCoy is walking yeah. through a hospital and he sees a patient in the hallway and he goes, what's going on? And she goes, I need a new kidney. And he goes, good grief. It's like the dark ages. And dark so, ages. Yeah, yes. He, 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 he yeah. like hands her a pill. And then and then and then the following scene, he's walking back through the hallway and she goes, my kidney just spontaneously regenerated. <laughs> and, and, and all the doctors are around are trying to analyze what happened. <laughs> I, I, I very I, much remember that scene. Is that four or five? It's the bad there, whale one. I can't remember. I know what it is. exactly it's, it's which the one. Dumb I know whale one. exactly yeah. which one this was. I totally remember that scene too. He's like, I don't even remember what he's saying. It's just the dark ages around here. Because someone else said they were on. And she said she was on dialysis because her kidney failed. That's what she. I uh, gosh, I totally remember that terrible scene. You, you, you know, I'm starting to feel bad because I think that's the one that Leonard Nimoy directed. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I think Are that... we speaking ill of our live long and prosper billboards? I think so. I'm gonna to have to look that one up. If, I, I'm sure. I, I'm sure someone's gonna tweet us and say, "Hey, jerks, that's the one that he directed." Yeah. Okay. I take it back. I take it all yeah, back. Yeah. That was I, your fault. You made yeah, me say it. Yeah. It was my fault. <laughs> it has the weird whale probe one, and I was like, as a kid, I was like, "Where are they going with this in capturing <laughs> whales?" And then, and then they go back in time by circling the sun. That's right. That's right. It doesn't. It, it doesn't quite all all add up. But you know, it's you know, it's Star Trek. We, we, we don't have to answer those those big questions in, to start. In the last, in the last non-serious thing to talk about, um, did you get confused between Mister Spock and Doctor Spock whenever they were referenced? Yeah, because it's not really clear. So I, yeah, I, I guess canonically, um, he was he he was very educated, highly. Yeah. Um, but he like it was weird because like I think he was a science officer. But right. then he, then it was like you heard Doctor Spock, and then he became Ambassador Spock, and and so and so he had kind of this this great career. But then they live for I don't know five hundred years, so like they, they they have a very long long life. So yeah, it, it always kind of threw me because I think in Star Trek you typically don't see the word you know it's not often you see Doctor without it being in the in well, the medical it, side, but you do see it in in TNG. But and those the confusing things, yeah. thing was there's this very famous. Um, child development expert named Dr. Spock that people of a certain generation all followed. Dr. Spock said, he wrote books on this and Dr. Spock did. And I remember hearing about Dr. Spock and imagining Leonard Nimoy being a real person um, who would have recommended child development uh, you know, strategies or whatever Dr. Spock's method was. Then I would be correct. No, that's Mr. Spock. I think, no, he's way smarter than this guy writing these child development books and, you know, at that time, as you said, it was only medicalized doctors that would be called or psychologists would be called doctor. 
And so somebody who was a research scientist would never be called doctor. It confused the heck out of me as a kid of which Spock are we talking? Is it doctor or mister? You know, you know, I really felt you, you set me up on that one because I thought you were actually asking about when Spock has been referred to by different titles. No, that, I wasn't that, asking that, his that academic language. title, although it's fine. I think he didn't get the respect he deserved. But I was confused because there was a both Mr. and Dr. Spock. Um, and one was a fictional character. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my parents had that book. Was it everything your children wanted you to know about raising kids or something like that? Was it was that the title of the book for Doctor Spock? I, I I remember it was a it was a fairly common book for parents to have about raising children. We're gonna have to look at that at the break. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll I think let it you was, know. No, but I think I for whatever reason I think Spock the 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 actual character. I thought I, I, I could have sworn that's that, that 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 he had a fairly long academic thing, but I could be way wrong on that too. So I, I I'm not good on Spock's career. But but I know I know that he 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 went by several titles, so we'll have yeah. to see what well, happens on that. Well, I hope he was a doctor at some point. And I hope um you know when when people started calling him Doctor Spock, he had to say which one? Are you referring to me? Or, <laughs> I'm or, a or scientist, not author. a doctor. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> And not a miracle worker. <laughs> he was none of those things. <laughs> well, well, I, well. At the break, um, I, I will take a look at that and verify uh, a fictional character's credentials. So, but uh, I, I do, I do want to kick off our show with everyone's uh, favorite segment: conversations about COVID with Dr. Marty. So, what is going on in the land of COVID this week? So, one of the stories that had come out this week that that got a bit of press in a, in a number of different publications was that there's there's a fungus that some people in, because India has had such a large outbreak, there's so many people there with COVID right now, um, of a fungus that is possibly deadly. Um, and I think it's called mucormycosis or something is the name of, of this fungus. And it's the black fungus, which makes it sound like the black death or something that's you know medieval in, in nature. Um, really what it is, is that um, when people are in hospital or are being treated for long-term with these steroids that suppress the immune system, um, sometimes your body's immune system is so weakened that opportunistic things that sit on the surfaces of your body, like on the inside of your nose, or sometimes surfaces of like your pet cat or dog, um, suddenly attack your immune system, which isn't able to fend it off anymore. And there's this thing that looks like a black fungus that starts growing around your nose and it can spread to your eyes and it can spread to your brain. And there are cases where if it does spread to your brain, it can be fatal. And so when it gets to your eyes, they remove your eyes. I mean, it's it's quite terrible sounding. So it can be, it's very treatable if you catch it though early on and you have, um, I think it's like, I don't know, two weeks or so of treatment with whatever antifungal or whatever it is that they're using. Um, but uh, it, it sounds very scary. It's very rare to get. Now, does COVID cause this? Not necessarily COVID causes. You're immune compromised as you're being treated for COVID with a lot of things that actually require you to suppress your immune system because COVID does this weird thing by turning your inflammatory drive, you know, which is part of early response that you have in your immune system, to turn that way down and to turn it way off. So people who are immune compromised anyway, especially if, you are, if you're living with HIV or AIDS, I don't think it's so common anymore, but earlier in the in that epidemic, there were people who would get also the mucormycosis as one of the the, the complications. So uh, it doesn't commonly kill people. It can. It does need to be treated. Uh, you do need to make sure it doesn't get to the brain. 
But that was one that sounds like it's right out of a horror movie. Uh, and India right now is like, can they catch a break? Because it does have a really terrible uh, outbreak of a very contagious, very virulent type of COVID. And it has kind of shattered the infrastructure that they had in that country to, to deal with it. They had had a relatively, um, I mean, it wasn't good, but they didn't have a, a remarkable uh, run with COVID before. And this has been such a hit to that country. So um, it's, it's another one of those. And even more tragedy but it's not very common not that many people have gotten considering how many people have been treated for COVID. it's still a rare occurrence to get this thing well how do you expect i mean with this news and and on and on last week's episode we were talking about uh vaccine passports and and traveling and um you know i mean do, do you expect this to impact travel uh some restrictions going into india and i know that there was recent recently an article about um, you know, at-home tests that looks like they're like they're going to be sufficient for international flights. Um, are you expecting to see any sort of sort of changes with this news, or or further restrictions, or changing in restrictions with, with you know you know with this latest development? So I believe India and maybe some other countries in the region. I think there's a ban uh, in the United States for flights for people coming in flights there unless they have specific exemptions. Um, I know that there are students who can fly to India or fly from India, excuse me, to the United States. Um, but there, that, there was an exception recently made. But I think Canada also, I'm pretty sure the United States is doing this. So um, we've kind of closed things off with India, I'm pretty sure. Uh, that being said, uh, Americans are being encouraged to travel quite a bit uh, because we need tourism is a big part of our economy and the global economy, and we're all itching to get out. It's, it is good for our mental health to get out of, of, of our, you know, bubbles for a little bit. So in the past, when you would travel and a stricter country would do this, they would require that you had a PCR COVID test taken within three days before you got on a plane. Now, the PCR test is quite reliable. Uh, it is very specific, and it usually tells you when you have COVID, vast majority of the time. But it takes 48 hours or so to get a reading on that. So if you're planning on going out of town, then you actually need to get the test done 72 hours before exactly from when you get on the plane so that by 48 hours later, you have the all clear and then you can get on. If you don't, you can't get on the plane. It's, it's, it's cutting it kind of close for your travel plans. And sometimes it takes longer than two days. Sometimes they lose your test. And then what are you going to do? And so the PCR test is an added burden for people to travel, although it is somewhat reliable. And oftentimes, when you get off the plane, they would make you quarantine until that PCR test on the other side, depending on where you were visiting. Now, not within the United States, but to foreign countries. Different countries have different criteria now, but the United States started allowing the rapid antigen tests. So the difference between a PCR test and an antigen test is a PCR test is going to look at the sequence of, of DNA that's in the actual virus itself. And so it will look to pick up any, because virus is basically a strand of DNA with a protein around. So it will find a bit of virus with a swab in your nose or in your mouth, and it will it will take out its blueprint instructions that have ATCG, you know, like this, those letters, in whatever sequence. And if it matches perfectly with the viral sequence, then you come back and say, oh, you know, this person has it. So you can tell the virus is actually there. For um, the antigen testing, that virus is programming your cell to create proteins. It infiltrates, it uses a cell's machinery to create for it. And some of the proteins that it creates are gonna be floating around inside where they're taking those swabs from as well. Now, 
what you can do in that kind of test is you don't need to wait and see, you know, did, did it bind to ATCG? Did it show that there was ATCG? Instead, what you'll get is one of those proteins is going to bind with an antibody that immediately flags it and says, oh, I found it, I found it. So that test can come back in like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. It's much faster. Wow. But you have to be further along in your disease process to have that because it's one thing to have the virus floating around. It's another thing to have the virus that's infiltrated the cells and are starting to produce symptoms. So you could be a carrier and you could be a passer of COVID without having those proteins readily available. So you might get a false negative with an antigen test because you don't have it producing those, those little protein antigens yet. Um, you might also uh, get, in general, a false negative for the antigen test because it just isn't as sensitive as the PCR test. It's just not as sensitive. So generally speaking, if you come back positive on an antigen test, you definitely have COVID. If you come back negative on an antigen test, you most likely don't have COVID, but it doesn't mean you don't have COVID if you really want to make sure you do the PCR test too. But because of the time difference, because it's only 15 minutes, you can know the result, it's much easier to travel that way. Is it good enough? And so the CDC decided, yeah, it's good enough. Now, because there's at-home versions of this test you can buy, the CDC has come out and said, there are certain tests that we will allow that you can have, I think, a certified person watch you do the swab and do the reading of the test so that nobody's, you know, using someone else's test. It's not like a, a urine test when you have your friend go in for you. Not that I've ever done that. Um, and if they watch you and it comes back positive or negative, excuse me, negative within that 72-hour period, then you're, you can go ahead and get on an airplane and that would be good enough. So it's much more convenient to travel that. But it has its risks. Yeah, and I think, like you said, uh, you know, with the with that very narrow window, you know, I've recently had some friends of mine who were traveling to Hawaii, and they were very like trying to get that window down and getting it scheduled and getting all the paperwork. It, it was very tight margins to make sure that they were that that they were able to hit those marks for sure. Yeah, it's high stress. I mean, I think it's different. Um, oh, but you know, it's interesting. Those are those that that test is for flights to the U.S. Um, it's different for a lot of people if they've been vaccinated, though. Mm. So now that I think within the U.S., I even I don't know Hawaii's deal, but I wouldn't be surprised that you probably could show your vaccine card and that would be in lieu of the test. But places are figuring out how they want to do this um, because like, I, I do know that the U.K. does this thing where they're, they're like, well, you could either be vaccinated or you take a, a PCR test this is, is their way of figuring it out. Uh, but we are quite vaccinated compared to what we used to be. There's so many people who are vaccinated now that, um, you know, our doses are even kind of overdoing it where the, there's been a scaling back across the country of, of having too many doses now. And there's there's an issue, for instance, that there are, um, I think there's some kind of patenting that's going on with certain vaccines that's preventing them from getting to the countries that really need it. So places like India that needs a massive amount of vaccines there uh, to kind of is a race against time. Uh, we're not giving away the patent for manufacturing that vaccine. They have to be manufactured in house. It's got to go through that process, but it's also a loss of lives. So there's this has been in the news a bunch recently too about the ethical dilemma of well, do you give up your secret sauce recipe, um, which could probably buy you your own island, um, or at this point more than your own island. I mean, it's it's you could buy a continent, I think, with with the 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 revenues that are going through these vaccines? Or do you um, keep to the laws that we really, really strongly protect here about having your patent, your 
your product be the thing that's more important, that ownership. Yeah, and I guess and you and I had talked about this too. I, I, I certainly understand the intellectual property part of it. And, and, and these companies spend a lot of money in developing these vaccines and, they, and, and it takes a lot of manpower to, to bring these things to market. And, and thank goodness they did and they, and they had the resources to be able to do it. Um, but I guess, you know, you know, the other side of me is, is, can we share it and help out the, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the, these other countries that, you know, are, are not on the same path we are, or some countries that did develop a vaccine, but it was less effective because this, you know, you know, COVID doesn't respect borders. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's like, I, I was, I was kind of hoping, you know, either through the world health organization or through other organizations that there would be some sharing of this information so that, um, and you've said, it's like, you're not going to eradicate it. Um, you can, you can put it down for a little bit, but there's going to be regions where, uh, COVID is going to be very prevalent or, or, or more common. So I was really hoping for, for us to be sharing a little bit more, but, uh, but, but Elias companies really are, uh, you know, holding that secret sauce quite close And and, and also it's, and you probably heard this, it's like, people are now sort of comparing, like, did you get Moderna? Did you get Pfizer? Well, mm-hmm. Pfizer seems like the first class vaccine compared to Moderna. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah. uh, the uh, Moderna side effects seem to be different than Pfizer's. And so so, so it's, it's very interesting that now people are even comparing, like, which ones did you get? And you hope you didn't get Sputnik because I, I, I've heard nothing but bad things about the Sputnik. But you know what? Sputnik is Sputnik better than nothing, I think. Um, it is it is the viable option for places where Sputnik is available. And you know, were I in that situation, I'm not sure I would turn down Sputnik. I think it might be at a 60% or so, which our country would have been totally fine with if that's what we had in terms of efficacy. So, um, I, yeah, we talked about this. We call it, you know, there's the good stuff episode. Uh, but I, I do think that one of the things, because we always bring in an ethical component to what we're talking about, um, is the question of how how isolated can we be? How protection protectionist or protective can we be that we would value the intellectual property over possible saving of lives? Is, is this one of those unalienable rights? Is this one of these things that must be protected at all costs? Um, and I think we have a history of protecting this one. This is a big one for, I think, culturally in, in American history. But speaking as somebody who's not an expert in American history, but um, we we put a lot of of uh, we really emphasize that in order to have innovation, there has to be some innate reward toward that innovation, such that you'll work your your your, your tush off so that you get there. And if you didn't have that built into the system, then we wouldn't be as innovative as we were. And because you get the innovation, but you're keeping it to the people that can pony up and pay. So as a person, I don't feel good about that. That that seems like an odd. To. Yeah, and I think we have seen some examples of companies like, uh, you know, what comes to mind is like Volvo. Uh, Volvo developed the uh, three-point uh, seatbelt, and they had every right to patent that and say, you know, we developed it, it's our intellectual property, and if you want it, you need to license it or, or pay us for this technology. Um, and they didn't. They they chose to make that technology available to. And so and so I think we've seen examples of, of these companies and, you know, and I and I think like Pfizer and, and I don't know much about Moderna or, or the companies that built uh, Sputnik, but I they, they're very successful companies. I think that they need to make their money back um, and what it took to develop them. But could they take the ethical, you know, the good ethical high road and say we are going to share the secret sauce because we want to help others? 
Mm-hmm. Won't that pay other dividends down the road? Because I mean, when you know when Volvo did it, Volvo's still around and, and quite successful. Um, but they but they saw value in in sharing their technology because they saw the value of of saving human lives. Yeah, yeah. All right. So with that really lighthearted outro, um, we are going to take a break. Uh, Matt is going to look up uh, the the book from Dr. Spock. And you will hear a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. And welcome back. Uh, just to put everyone at ease, during the commercial break, uh, Matt and myself did a little bit of research uh, uh, referencing Spock the Mr. and Spock the Doctor. And I have good news. There is a Spock the Doctor, Benjamin Spock, who had written a book in 1946 called The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, which was quite influential for most of the latter half of the 20th century, written by the famous pediatrician, Dr. Benjamin Spock. But that's not the whole story, folks. Yeah, so I, you know, now I am not a really the original series expert, but I could have swore that at some point he was he was referenced as Doctor Spock, um, and then there was a little there, there. I do recall there was funkiness with Leonard Nimoy about his character, and then Doctor Spock, the famous author, you know all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I you know I I looked this up, and uh, you know it's always good to check your sources. But just like Star Trek nerd should, there was a Stack Exchange post on this very topic, and a, a, seems like season one, episode three, that uh, there is a conversation between Spock and McCoy. And uh, there is uh, where McCoy says Doctor Spock, um, and actually says that. So, uh, but it's not clear there. You know, that I didn't see anything canonically that says for sure what his educational background was on the planet Vulcan. But you know, that's that's what we've seen in that in that particular season. So, a little bit of uh, great Star Trek nerdiness. So, um, if you happen to know the answer to that, feel free to write in and correct us because we're you know on this show we are constantly learning things. So, um, but. In, in in our tech news, uh, there was a couple of really juicy articles that I was really looking forward to talking with you, Marty. Um, one of them was uh, I, I I'm going to jump into the to our former president Trump news in the land of social media. So okay, um, I'm ready. Two things: uh, the Facebook committee came back. Um, and it was what I'm calling a, and, and I got lots of emails about, w- 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 you know, what is my take on this? The Facebook committee came back. Da, 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 da. So I'm calling this a punt, but a slap. <laughs> so uh, the uh, oversight board came back and they very much punted it. 
Um, and they are wanting Facebook to take about six more months um, to determine whether or not uh, former President Trump should remain permanently banned. Um, so on the surface, if you look at the article, it looks very much like a punt of like, you know, we had this, we reviewed the comments, and then we're punting it back. Um, but what was really interesting was, um, you know, when the CEO of, of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, was like, we're going to create this committee and it's going to be filled with academics and, um, you know, journalists and the combination of people to help us with these really big questions. Um, and, and they said this is going to be independent and it's going to, you know, kind of provide a conscience for our company. Um, this was the conscience basically booting Mark Zuckerberg in the booty in this case to say, you can't just punt this to the committee and expect us to fix it. So um, they actually issued a fairly scathing review of Facebook's process. And so, um, you know, this is actually a, a quote. It's a, the board also issued a scathing review of, of uh, Facebook's process. Now, this is an article that uh, was featured in Ars, in Ars Technica. The board also issued a scathing review of Facebook's process for making its decision, which removed Mr. Trump from both Facebook and the company's photo sharing app, Instagram. It cited Facebook's failure to state how and if it would determine to make the ban permanent and criticized the company's cooperation with the board's review. And went on to say that it's not permissible for Facebook to keep a user off the platform for an undefined period with no criteria for when or whether the account will be restored. So it was a very interesting article and interesting perspectives on this board, but, but, but the board was saying, you know, you can't, you, you don't have policies defined. You don't have rules sort of defined to take this action that you did and you giving it to us, you know, isn't the best course of action. So, so yeah, so it was, it was very interesting to see this, uh, back and forth, uh, with them. And, and I do want to correct that that wasn't Ars Technica. That was actually the uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, and so it was interesting to see the oversight, the, the oversight board react in this way, um, and, and kind of hand it back to Facebook. Now, um, I, I, I was asked, you know, about Twitter, you know, and, and what their position is. And, and Twitter has just said full stop, he's not coming back to the platform, which um, many argue that Twitter be, uh, was more popular because of former President Trump being on the platform, which I would uh, I would agree with. Um, but they've just said, no, we're, we're not going to have him back. Um, and we're going to get into another story about former President Trump's new social media platform. Uh, but it was very interesting to see this 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 committee um, of Facebook's exert its independence and say, Facebook, you need to look at your rules and policies to uh, really determine whether or not you you know you need to set these rules and policies so that we can better assist you. And if you ban them, set the rules and expectations and and, uh, and make it really clear for the users on their platform. So, um, so it was a punt and a slap from this committee this uh, um, um, this week. So I'm of two minds with this. Um, first of all, am I allowed to use four letter words? Uh, not, not uh, you can add four letter words. I just add an explicit tag to this particular episode, but you can cuss on a podcast. So okay, um, I don't know if it's good policy or chicken shit of the of the oversight group to say this because it's true. If you create an oversight group with only decision-making power, but not in creating policy itself through, if they don't create essentially a case law version of what they're doing, then yeah, they have every right that this, this committee to come back and say, you're just, you're just avoiding this and you're trying to put the blame on someone else. 
But if, in fact, this does create some kind of case law kind of policy that, well, because of this case, we decided that, and then that becomes the precedent that's used to decide other cases like that, like our own judicial system, that, in fact, is used to help create policy. And so if they're going to claim that they shouldn't be involved and that Zuckerberg's crew should have done this before, well, that committee, I'm sure, was created with ethics in mind. It, it used people. So if they're dodging the bullet, and I don't know which way it's going, really, to be honest, to be fair to both sides, but I, I have seen enough administrative bodies be chicken shit in my time to know that um, they're trying to avoid the one possibility. I don't know if they are. One possibility is that they're trying to avoid any kind of association with the decision that's being made which could really benefit everyone because it's like having a judicial body. I mean, it's like having a, a, a number of experts who would best inform a decision to be made to create policy from. But on the other hand, if they actually can't create new policies from their decision and they're only being used as a one-off for a singular decision, then yeah, they should throw it back and say, look, either give us a policymaking power or have your own policies. Don't make us a temporary body to decide one-off cases so you don't have to. So they're hot potatoing with each other. Both sides are kind. Somebody's being chicken shit here. Somebody is. Yeah. And it's, and this one's interesting because I, I think, uh, in, in, and I, and I share that my, my initial reaction was, was this was another punt. It was them not making a decision and, and continuing to, to delay this ban. The other part of it, which I, I'm trying to take the perspective of, of uh, a committee member, but also the perspective of, you know, of a user of the Facebook platform, which, which you know, full disclosure, our, our own, our own podcast is on Facebook and, and those type of things. I think that you know Zuckerberg controls the majority of the shares of Facebook, so the buck stops with him. He ultimately makes the decisions for that company. He has created this board, and he's trying to say that it's going to help us in decision making. Uh, you know, you know, with these big decisions, you know, that he's referring to. Um, but if his company hasn't set policy and hasn't and hasn't really said, and this has been a struggle with Facebook for a long time, is you're not clear really what you are. You know, you you've kind of struggled with I'm a platform. We, you know, we can't take responsibility for what happens. Oops, this issue came. We're sorry. We're going to make it better. Um, you kind of see this flux back and forth. And, and I mean, has I mean, every other year we see an apology campaign from 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 Mark Zuckerberg for for some way that the platform um, has done something that it shouldn't be or or it was abused. And so I'm I, looking at it from this committee's perspective of like, well, we're going to give this to you, committee, and we need you to tell us if we made the right decision or if Trump should be. Uh, permanently banned. And the committee, you know, I believe the committee could say he should be permanently banned. But I think if I was a committee member and going, well, um, is there a rule that says he can't do this? Is Has it been clear to the user utilizing this platform that if they behave in a certain way, they are going to be removed? Because I think committees sort of enforce policy or they advise on policy and those sort of things. So I, I think it's interesting. But no, I, I agree with you. I've been on a number of committees myself where it's like, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to be put in a position where it's like uh, where Zuckerberg could say, well, the committee made the decision, so I'm just going to have exactly. to back it. Um, yeah. I, I think I'm like, well, you're you're the one that that either you own it, like Twitter said is, you know, Trump, you're off or you say, oops, you know, we need to insert policy here, make it make it clear to our users that if you do this, we are going to remove your post or we're going to suspend your account or those type of things. Um, so it, it's it, it's interesting, but that's why I said it was sort of a a punt and a slap, and I and I and I think that while you know it, it obviously hurts you know former President Trump because it, it it decreases his online presence, 
to have your own committee kind of come back and kind of go, you need to develop rules and figure out, you know, if, you know, you know, be very transparent with, with your with your users about what this means and what you can and can't do. And do you have policies where you can permanently ban someone? Um, I think is is important to do. So yeah, but 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 I but I completely see your perspective on of like make a decision already on this because it continues to linger around. But it's it's not even just make a decision on it. It's that um, if that if that group could was given the power to create new policy from the case itself, because let's say that you know Facebook didn't know that this was going to be how it was used, and so changing times give it a new perspective on what policies now need to be created. But if you have a body that's made up of of experts in ethics and technology and society and these different areas where they need to come together and do this, then create a mechanism for them to inform new policy. That's that's a really important thing. Don't just give them the the uh, responsibility to decide on a case. That's my take on it, if, if you're going to do both. But there is another issue, which I was pretty harsh in ignoring, is that there is a litigious aspect of this. So who are Trump's lawyers going to sue? Right, are they going right. to sue Facebook or are they going to sue this committee? Because if they sue right. Facebook, they could say, Facebook, well, we made this committee. You know, and if they make this committee, they say, no, 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 don't sue us, sue Facebook. We told them that we couldn't do anything with that. So there's this other component where there's their their own covering their own behinds to kind of deal with this, I think, as well, that it, it's unfortunate because we do need good policies. We really need good policy space. And maybe it should come from outside of Facebook itself to help them determine what's the best course of action. Yeah. And I think, and, and I think we've discussed this before is, you know, these are private, you know, privately held companies. They can set the rules for how, how their platforms are used. Um, where I think this is going to get interesting is, um, you know, you know, there, there, there is very specific rules as far as like, um, you know, advertising on television for political campaigns and radio and those type of things. But in the land of social media, it's, it's very different. And, and, and we certainly have learned some, some, some pretty tough lessons over here. Um, but it sounds like former president Trump is going to run for office again. And it's going to be interesting to see if these platforms, like let's say Facebook does say you're permanently banned and Twitter says you're permanently banned. Um, what does that mean for a campaign? Because in most modern campaigns, um, these are massive channels to get to people. And this mm -hmm. is the way that you communicate, um, you know, particularly during COVID, um, campaigns, you know, dependent on these social media platforms to get their message out for them to have live streams, for them to be aware of events and those type of things. So, um, what does that mean when like you are the gatekeeper of a community of, of millions, if not billions of people, and you're banned from that platform, you know, and, and you, you can't participate and you can't get to those people. You could still do TV, you could still do radio, but I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like, I, I don't even own cable TV. So I mean, like the, the, mm -hmm. the best way you can get to me is, is via social media or through YouTube or those type of things. So um, I think it's going to be, it's, it's definitely a story I'm, 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 I'm keeping an eye on. And I, and I, I think it's very interesting to see sort of this reaction. And I've, and I've heard of people being banned, but nothing to this size or scale, like mm -hmm. what we're seeing with a, with a former president Trump. So. So can I ask us to pivot and talk about another social media platform? <laughs> what social media platform would that be? Can we talk about one called Clubhouse? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, I, I know that you have been waited. You, you, I'm yes. sorry, you, you have been waiting with bated breath. Uh, yes. There, there uh, was an announcement that Clubhouse has officially launched on Android. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah. So uh, the exclusive club that was only for Apple users has now been open to Clubhouse. But um, Gizmodo reported that uh, 
you know, iOS downloads for Clubhouse have taken a, a, a pretty drastic nosedive. Um, and, and right now, you know, Clubhouse is noting millions of users. Um, which, which when it comes to social media is actually relatively small. And we're seeing some Clubhouse clones come out. So a lot of the big social media companies are, are coming out with sort of similar functionality, which is this is what we see with Instagram, you know, ripping off Snapchat or ripping off TikTok and those type of things. So like um, friend house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some of them are more goofier than others. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're just going to have to see, but, uh, but, uh, those in the Android world were, were rejoicing that they finally can join into the clubhouse conversation. I have all of these nineties dance hits in my head right now. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very happy. Well, I think, you know, one of the things about this pandemic, cause it, either we're talking about pandemic or technology or the, or the intersection, although there are other med stories to talk about too, but, um, being alone, a lot of people I know who are flying solo during this time have turned to Clubhouse, actually. It's been a source of community when we really didn't have it. And I think it came at a good time. So here I am like, oh, I'm <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that, um, but I, I tried to sound uh, like I was on Bob's Burgers. Well, I think, you know, and, and it's it's interesting whenever these new products come out. I, I remember there was a there's a product that came out from, from Google called Google Wave. It was kind of like an early generation sort of collaboration tool. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember I jumped on really early to sign up to be, you know, a part of the beta and started using it and really liking it. And then Google eventually said, we're going to get rid of this product. And, and it and they kind of rolled wave into some some other other platforms, which I think became Google Plus. And then Google said, yeah, we're not really good with the social media thing. And so we dropped it. So um, it's it's interesting when, when, when you sort of get in on these new social platforms and start, start tinkering with it to see, how long is it going to be alive until like Facebook or or any other companies like uh, I'll, I'll just make the exact same functionality and then my, my user base will, will it, either it will be better or just be included in what people know and then they end up going I don't want to I don't want to go onto another app so yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how this how this turns out with Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. so, well, I'm excited I'm excited about that one but speak speak more preach more about the tech world. So in in the land of social media uh, in this one I, I I just think it was it was more of a I I, I laughed out loud when I saw it so. Um, we have talked about that uh, former President Trump was uh, making some announcements that he was going to build a, a new social media platform and it was going to be um, great that he was talking with some with some big people on this. And there's been a lot of rumors about him creating his own social media platform, particularly coming off the heels of a ban from Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And there was even rumors that he was going to buy Newsmax, um, a fairly conservative uh, news station, and or he was going to create his own news station and those type of things. So, um, but uh, so if you have a chance, um, which you can check out his his new social media, I wouldn't call it a platform um, at DonaldJTrump.com, uh, um, which is he he's marketing it as the desk of Donald. J. Trump. Um, you can check out kind of his social media platform, which really isn't for anybody else. It's just, it's a blog. It is a very much a blog where he is posting tweet length comments about, you know, everything from the Kentucky Derby to Mother's Day to everything. And it looks terrible. I mean, it looks like 
um, like the 1990s dressed up a WordPress blog and, you know, just short burst sentences that are are on there. And so um, it's pretty terrible. So I was I was not impressed with, you know, with the with the grand release of uh, of, of the desk of, of Donald J. Trump. And then what cracked me up is uh, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody like like there was an account created that was like, check out the latest from Donald J. Trump, you know, this blog, social media platform they created. And of course, Twitter was like, oh, no, 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 you've been banned. And so they booted that account off. So it was it was kind of funny that, Ding. yeah, Ding. It, it's so, it's so, but yeah, uh, if you have nothing else to do, you could check out that website. Uh, but I was fairly disappointed. I'm like, this is what we've been waiting for is a blog. Like, this is basically oh. what, what, what we've been waiting for here. Would I be incorrect to compare this new kind of social media that Donald Trump, J. Trump's website is proposing is not all that different than Perez Hilton in the early 2000s? <laughs> I think in some ways, Perez, Perez Hilton had, had more technology than what this website has. Uh, yeah, it was it was just it was terrible. So it was absolutely wow. terrible. So wow. Um, wow. Yeah. 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 It wasn't good. Um, so, so yeah, so it was, yeah, it was definitely an, an interesting tech week. Um, and the other story that I thought was, was interesting was, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about iOS 14 and, and Apple. And so there, so there's two Apple stories I wanted to talk with you about. One of them was, you know, we, we talked about the latest release of, of, uh, 14.5. So it's the operating system that, that runs, um, our iPhones. And we, we were talking about that these, you know, the operating system has now come out with with warnings about how, you know, if an app is tracking uh, your data and, you know, and Facebook was really concerned about this and uh, because they're, because Facebook depends on the data that is being collected and their concerns were very warranted. So, so Ars Technica did come back and say that 96% of US users opted out of app tracking in the in in, in the iOS. And mm. so um, the analytics are correct that you know a lot of people were saying, you know, for years people don't care about privacy, you know, it's not that big of a deal, people are just sort of used to it. And overwhelming for 96% of them when asked, "Do you want this app tracking you?" Their answer is no, and so which I thought was was definitely sort of a, a a pretty bold response back to these companies who have been mining our data for quite some time. Uh, for you know you know it's been brought to their attention and they just opted out and said said no I, I don't really want the app to be tracking me I just want to use the app and I want to close it and I don't want it to be mining anything else for me. So um, with iOS 14, um, a lot of you know people can delay the upgrade, but eventually they're, they're going to have to take it. Um, you know, I think we're, we're going to see some higher numbers out there, um, of these, of these websites that have been really, these websites or apps that have been mining this data as a part of their business, uh, mm -hmm. starting to dry up in the, in the Apple okay. consumers is a, is a big user base. I'm happy to hear that. That would almost inspire me to go to the old version of Clubhouse on the iOS rather than <laughs> the Android system. Join the blue bubbles, join the blue yeah. bubbles. You know, I have been in the blue bubble before, just, just for everybody to know. Um, I just wasn't savvy enough to take advantage of everything or to appreciate it fully. So I went for my my maybe less costly uh, cousin's version of, of my technology. Uh, so there was, I, I had mentioned before that there was a story that, that we might do that isn't just on COVID, but in the medical world. And you're the one who mentioned this to me earlier today, but uh, it was about using 
like, the idea of using psychedelics to treat mental illness. Now, do you remember that commercial when you were a kid in the 80s? It was, it was the, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Oh, yeah, with the eggs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was another one that happened after that. That was the get high, get stupid, get AIDS. Do you remember that one? I, I don't remember that one. I remember the, there was in, in well, we're, we're already going to have an explicit tag on this episode, so it doesn't matter anyway. Um, but there, there, there was one that I remember scared me was like the two, the two guys are getting high and he puts like a shotgun to his mouth and then it goes and then it cuts to black. And it was like, it was like when you're, when you're on drugs, anything can happen or something like that. I just remember it scared the daylights out of me as a kid to think that, you know, you'd be playing with guns and high and not even realize it. And then there was, do you remember Nancy Reagan's entire campaign of just say no? I mean, right. That was yeah. the, the whole thing there. I remember there was oh, a, dare, a cartoon made yeah. about this, dare, yeah. all of that stuff. Oh, I mean, it certainly shaped the way I thought about drugs. Absolutely. It was like 100% bad. But there has been research around for a while, even anecdotal of the people who take different things. I mean, a lot of people have marijuana for anxiety. That's been known for a very long time. Uh, there have been uses for marijuana. Of, wait, wait. Co-hosts of podcasts use it to sleep. I don't know. No, CBD oil. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thing. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm and sorry. I don't regularly use it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> so, but I, I've, I've always been actually pretty reticent around this. And I studied for a little bit back in the day uh, in uh, the world of addiction around the biology of that. So I, I had a little bit of familiarity. And there were things like MDMA or ecstasy and cause damage, certainly neurodegeneration. Um, there are other there are other substances that can cause different kinds of damage. But the, the problem with all of it is that we're starting with a mantra of this is bad for you. So then every study that needs to come out needs to explain how it's bad for you. Well, we've swung the pendulum the other way and said, well, now it's good for you. So we're starting to get studies that are coming out that say, well, you know, something like um, psilocybin, I think in the New England Journal of Medicine is a psychedelic uh, it, it tended to, to be an effective treatment for people with depression. There's an article coming out in Nature Medicine that MDMA, the thing that before I told you had caused some kind of neurodegeneration, ecstasy, you know, that party drug, um, that might actually be beneficial to treat mental illness as if we're supposed to swing the pendulum the other way. But it's, it's kind of like the red wine example. If you drink a glass of red wine with your dinner, sometimes it can be healthy, like a cup of coffee, like it if you have too much of it, like anything, which is very easy to develop habits around, then it can cause real problems. So you can become a fried egg. You can become, you know, like the, the version of the cartoon of the older brother who had hid some kind of drug. Oh, remember when he said, I learned it from you. That was another uh, just say no commercial. Um, like, it, it can go either way. Like all of these can go either way. What's interesting is that they're now looking at formerly considered drugs of abuse because they can be abused as possible treatments for people with PTSD, um, for certain kinds of depression. And it probably is going to change. There are new businesses that are starting to spring up around this. And your neck of the woods, of course, in Colorado is going to be one of the first to embrace this because I think they decriminalized mushrooms, magic mushrooms, the hallucinogen, a couple years back. So you're gonna to have to give us a lowdown after you try that, Matt, of, of how you feel and whether it's habit forming or not. And um, if you're, generally feeling better or not. No, don't do that unless you've talked to a medical professional. Uh, but I do think that if it is decriminalized, we might start seeing it being used through prescription, um, especially if it can be regulated. 
and then we might see it as uh, something that, like like marijuana, might become recreational if it's still regulatable in smaller amounts. This this could be very interesting. Yeah, I think this is in, and I, I think this is really positive news. I think uh, particularly, uh, you know, when when I was looking at what CNBC posted, in it, it, it particularly with those with uh, PTSD. Um, the results looked really promising. I mean, it was really interesting to see how it's really helped um, with this. And 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 I and I kind of it was kind of making me go back to uh, there was a couple of years ago that that in the tech world there was a lot of um, discussion around these innovators microdosing, and they were like, it's unlocking these innovative concepts That's and these right. innovative That's ideas. Right. And like you said, it was like small amounts, but they were saying, you know, you know, that it was it was helping them sort of unlock these innovative ideas. So I think it's it's interesting to see it. But I mean, I kind of put microdosing very much in that recreational category versus this where it's mm-hmm. it's it's definitely addressing some some medical needs. But it, it looks like really, really promising. Uh, let's stay tuned. I'm, I'm excited to actually read the article uh, coming from the, the study itself. Uh, but I, I do think that we're at a, at a place where it's healthy to have more honest conversations about pharmaceuticals and things that exist in different forms, whether or not they were recreational or, or not before or illegal substances before. If there's therapeutic potential. There's therapeutic potential. And dosing means a lot. I mean, now Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it. That's why it was called Coca-Cola. And in that way of drinking it, it really wasn't very, as far as I'm aware, habit forming, but it did have little benefits for especially for your GI system. And I, so, I mean, there are, there are ways in which these, these products um, can go to market, can be regulated, can be used in a way that's not so necessarily like the war on drugs. That being said, addiction is a serious matter. It is something that can be really debilitating for people who are living with it. And it's not very difficult to go from something that is used in a non-addictive way and turns into an addiction. So you, you know, just look, just look at alcohol. So, or, or cigarettes. I mean, the, those very, very clear examples. I really still think the uh, jury's out on cigars, though. I think that there could be some additional, you know, some medicinal qualities around cigar smoke for sure. Really? Yeah, I think well, so. What, what might those be? Um, I, you know, we are going to stay tuned on that and we're going to come back <laughs> with you. Um, I, I do have one more story before we uh, wrap up today. So um, in, in, in our last episode, we, we started talking about sort of values of, of companies and, and, and we, we kind of did a little bit of a deep dive into Apple specifically um, around the value of privacy. And so uh, there, there was sort of a, uh, um, an interesting thing that, that popped up in the news. And of course, you know, you know, I had some people who were like, you know, what is your take on this? So Apple has been in, in a bit of a, in a bit of a nasty fight with um, the, the, the maker of Fortnite. So um, the, the company that makes Fortnite uh, is, is going through a really nasty trial uh, with Apple. And, um, and like in any trial, a lot of things are coming up in discovery. So a couple things that I thought was slightly comical is um, the amount of money that Apple makes in the App Store, which um, Apple, you know, when it came out, Apple was like, that number doesn't seem right. But they asked the judge not to release that information. It's like, ouch, interesting. So so but one of the things that I thought was was uh, particularly interesting, and I'm, and I'm going to try not to get... Um, to to sort of like in in the technical weeds, but I thought I, I thought it was interesting. Was um, 
you know, I think everyone's very familiar with Apple's App Store environment. So developers create these apps, they submit them to Apple. Apple does a review of them, says yes or no, it meets our standards or it doesn't. And they're looking for security issues. They're looking mm-hmm. for the user experience. They're looking for a variety of things. And they vet them and then say, okay, you, you are okay to, you know, to go into the Apple Store. And if and um, and then if people are selling them, they take a piece of that, and so that's why you're seeing you know this the, the, you know this current case. So Apple users and and and, and I am one of them um, enjoys that safety and security of uh, you know of that vetting process, and that's and that's a part of when you buy in the Apple ecosystem that that we all go with. You're paying for that part of the brand. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so you know, and and, and as a part of this. Um, uh, case there was in this disclosure uh, came out a very interesting little tidbit. So um, over you know some 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 developers who were developing mobile apps uh, found this thing called uh, basically it was like the ghost of Xcode. So it was it was basically you know let, let's just call it a, a piece of a development toolkit that was out there on the internet. Um, Xcode is used in the development of, of apps for, you know, for iOS. And it was like, oh, you know, download this thing. It will help. It'll, it'll make things a whole lot faster. And a lot of good natured developers, developers that didn't have any sort of bad intent, um, utilized this, this, uh, this ghost of Xcode um, and were putting in their apps. And, and uh, when they submitted their apps to um, Apple, um, Apple said, you're good to go. And they put it in the app store and people downloaded it. Um, then it turned out that that ghost of Xcode um, had malicious stuff inside of it. Sneaky and, bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and what it looks like is, you know, it impacted, you know, I, you know, we're, we're looking at about 128 million that were impacted. So going back to this case was, you know, Apple, you know, there was some emails that got brought up back and forth and there was a discussion of should Apple notify the users that this app that they downloaded has this um, malicious component inside of it and that it should be removed. Um, and Apple said no. So um, it looks like they did pull the apps from the app store to say you couldn't download them, but that doesn't help those that already had downloaded the app. So, so it was, it was very interesting to see. And, and, and I I wanted to bring this up. And and of course, if you're, if you're very interested, um, you know, again, Ars Technica, a really great tech publication. I read a lot of their work, did a great story on this piece. Um, And you can get into a lot of the technical aspects of, of the ghost of Xcode, but it does shine a light on when we were talking about the values of a company, which it is not uncommon for Google, for Android to do something very similar. They don't always notify users. But here's a company that has said, we care about privacy and we care about security. We're doing all these things. Um, I really feel like, you know, when, you know, in this court case, when it came to light, it was like, they didn't even want to notify everyone. And I'm not saying that Apple has everyone, you know, like like we, we, we wouldn't see everyone get contacted, but did they make an attempt to say that this occurred and that they missed it? They flat out missed this, the, 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 this malicious thing in the apps. Um, mistakes happen, own up to it, and they just didn't do it. So, so it was a bit of a bombshell thing that, that came out, but it kind of goes back to the values conversation we had in, uh, in our last episode in, in episode 10. That's interesting. So if you say you have values by which you live, and then you're offered the opportunity to practice those values, and then you do not accurately practice those values, I think this could be a Zen koan. Did you, in fact, ever have that as a value? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, if the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it does it make a sound? Yeah, and I think and I think it's very I when I when I was looking at it, I'm like, so you're standing in judgment of Facebook and you're standing in judgment of these other companies, but you had an opportunity to own up to your mistake, notify users that this thing happened. Your operating system is notifying people of app tracking and it's bringing it very much to the surface, but your own mistake, you're not going to bring it to the surface of your of your Apple user base to say, we made an oopsie. So, um, and it wasn't the, you know, you, you know and, and people said, well, it's the developer's fault. I understand that developers probably should have done some more due diligence on this and those type of things, but Apple also played a role in this as well. And so I, so, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a very interesting uh, um, article and very interesting things coming out of this case with, uh, with this whole uh, Fortnite case. Fortnite. So um, I am telling you that I am going to leave this with two points against the iOS system, which secretly feels good because there's such a moral high ground coming from all of you smug iOS users. Um, that Clubhouse is now ours too, and that um, Apple isn't as holy as they claim to be. So I'm, I'm like, I'm a little smug. I'm a little smug. I won't lie. I thought that you would enjoy that when when, when Apple Thank gets you. knocked down a couple pegs. It's it's a good parting thought. I'm feeling a little better about everything. So um, that's going to be it for today, folks. But uh, we do love to hear from you. Please subscribe and leave us a review and listen for after the show for uh, contact information. In the meantime, eat some brunch and change the world. Take care. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.